0: Welcome to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. This podcast delivers insights on medical device packaging, from regulatory affairs, process management, as well as discussions on the latest in sterile device packaging technologies. Each episode, our host, Charlie Webb, speaks with global experts to bring the most relevant information to our esteemed listeners. As sterile packaging compliance becomes increasingly more challenging, it is vital to avoid information gaps that could risk your medical device packaging program avoid package failure risks, and build your skill set from your colleagues' experience and from insights from sterile device packaging subject matter experts.
1: Hello, this is Charlie Webb, and I'm your host again today on another episode of Sterile Packaging on Track Radio, Spot Radio. Well, our friend Joe Campbell is going to be back with us again today from Universal Robots, and he's going to talk more about collaborative robots and so much more, how we can integrate these into our clean room, and moreover, how can we integrate these uh, robots into our medical device packaging program so uh, we're going to just jump in right where we were last time so let's listen in as we talk about robots so i hate to put you on the spot here but what are people doing right in integrating robots and maybe what are some of the stories where people are just not getting it or they're using it incorrectly and how does your company come in and sort of sort out appropriateness of a robotic arm let's say for instance
2: well it's um My counsel is always, start simple. You do not have to solve the biggest problem in the factory. What your CFO wants is a return on investment. So let's take a straightforward function that's fairly obvious. You're probably having trouble hiring, so let's automate that function, and if there's an individual operator doing that role now, let's move them into a higher value role. Start slow and start simple. Where we see people get into trouble more often than not is when they start to push they're making assumptions before the project is started about the risk associated with the application, and they start pushing the envelope. So what I try to tell customers and integrators um, as well is if you believe that you have to operate the robot at greater than 70% of maximum speed, you've got a risk factor because you're making assumptions before the project starts, and you don't know how those assumptions are going to play out completely. If your pre-project assumptions includes loading the robot up at higher than 70% of its rated payload, you've got a risk factor. Because your is not designed, your part might change. And then the third one is if you're operating in your concept, if you think you need to operate at greater than 70% of the maximum reach of the robot, you've got another risk factor. And unfortunately, what happens is you see uh, project teams that are scratching their head because they made multiple assumptions, right, that are on the edge. And so now they're having project problems. The payload's too heavy, the cycle time's too fast, the reach of the machine and the, you know, the physical layout was a little bit more, and that's where they're having trouble. So those are kind of my watchwords, and it's been very helpful over the years look at projects
1: that way i'm a musician and you know we talk about like for amplifiers you know the famous amplifier that goes to 11 usually on an amplifier the um the last three digits are sort of theoretical and in music business we call it headroom so having that extra headroom Mm -hmm. it's not meant to be used it's a safety zone and we struggle with this so much again our industry may be more Cost sensitive than most industries because, again, we have third party payers that are reimbursing for medical devices and procedures. And so it's our job, our mandate, really, to be able to manage costs so that device can get to the point of care safe and an efficacious device, all those sort of things. But it gives us a challenge because not only are we the most cost controlled industry, we're also one of the highest regulated industries. So these competing problems cause uh, a great deal of stress for medical device uh, management core and we see it too in uh, packaging machines where they should have two machines but they're only going to use one because their budget only allowed for the purchase of one and then our tech support calls are yeah. ringing off the hook with hey this thing's a piece of junk it's not keeping up with throughput and yet they're overclocking the machine i don't know if you remember that term from the 90s where you
2: yeah absolutely <laughs>
1: clock yep. your computer so yeah
2: you're uh I will tell you, one of my most entertaining conversations was with a, a young engineer, manufacturing engineer, who was putting his own project together at an automotive company. And um, he had been having trouble with cycle time. And so we talked to him. He said, I've got it. I've got it all figured out. I can make it work. If I can run this cell at 98% speed, three shifts. <laughs> I can make my mm. production volume. Uh-oh. And he's done before he started. Absolutely. Right? Guaranteed to fail. So those are the kind of discussions that, you know, I hope customers will really look at their vendor base and find the valued partners who will actually talk straight to them and and help them be a success.
1: Yeah, and that's where your job comes in. I mean, they, a good application engineer or person is the one that's going to be on the design phase of that project and there to kind of control those stops. To hopefully make you, to help you not make a bad mistake. I mean, that's my job when I'm speaking with um, a customer that's putting together a sterile packaging line. My job is to brokerage my 30 years experience in medical device manufacturing and packaging and be able to give them uh, some counsel on where they need to be. And I mean, gosh, isn't that our job? I think one of the frustrating feedbacks that we hear from Other companies uh, that are purchasing equipment, not just packaging, but machinery in general, is that they spoke with a low-level, new hire, young guy with a shiny new bachelor's degree in business, and they know absolutely nothing other than the orientation that they got, uh, which was an hour long about the product. We're a product-focused industry The sales aspects needs to come in from talking about features and benefits, but not shiny words. You know, the best looking salesperson that walks in the door, those days are long gone. We have to look at hard metrics and spec sheets and really spec out the machine that's going to work for us. So information is powerful and companies like yours that provide that wealth of insight during the design phase. And that, I think, is where we see trouble is they try to look. They all need a time machine, it seems like, to go back and remake that decision <laughs> it's just you you got to yeah. do that up front and you know i mean i'm sure you see it front loading any process like this is absolutely critical for its success
2: yeah it's uh, the investment up front definitely pays off on the back but that's where i think also we're seeing this this evolution on the on the collaborative industry it's tough to ask the cfo for a million bucks to test something <laughs> to see if it works yeah for sure <laughs> It's a lot easier to ask them for forty or fifty thousand dollars.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
2: To run a pilot, right? So that's I think we're seeing more and more of that.
1: Yeah, and you and I talked a little bit about you know being so vested that um, they can't turn back. All of their budget was thrown onto this monolithic machine, and they have to justify why they made that purchase. And even if the machine, uh, believe me, I have so much experience this. I've I've had candid conversations with engineers that said, look, I spec this thing out. It's not working like we hope. I need help. I got everybody on my back right now because I made a bad purchase decision, but there's no way to rewind it. Obviously, we can't send it back. It's a custom machine. I wasn't robust enough in my design work, and so now I'm stuck with it. You know, I've learned in my life to not crater things, Make small decisions that you know are a bump or a bruise, but not the uh, you know mushroom cloud kind of mistakes. And so, it's easy to do when you start running crazy with budgets and uh, think that you have this aggregate single point solution tends to be a fusible link, and fusible links are very dangerous. Again, going back to that cellularization model where we break up not only workstation, but we're effectively we're breaking up risks. So we're not so vested in a single item that uh, we just can't rebudget.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it does pay off in the end. It really does.
1: So we, we kind of know where we are a bit in terms of the current sort of zeitgeist of medical device packaging, uh, material handling. I mean, we have at the Pack Expo, we see all the great machines that uh, can move, things around all the robotic arms that are doing terrific things. And we sort of got my head around that, but what do you see? You've been in this industry long enough. What is the big future of robotics? What is uh, sort of coming across your desk that you see maybe is the next big thing in robotics?
2: Well, I think what we're seeing is um, we're seeing a lot of very, very clever software development to simplify specific applications. That's great because we've been bringing the cost of robotics down, the hardware down for a long time, but the cost of the projects are not coming down as fast because they still have a significant amount of engineering content in them. It gets deployed in lots of different ways. One that I'm probably, your listeners will understand it, but it's certainly not your industry. I spent some time in the woodworking industry, cabinet manufacturing, and um, one of our UR Plus partners, a company called Roboteek up in Quebec, they actually developed a very clever piece of software that allows you to program a complex shape, like a wooden chair, a formed wooden chair that you might find like at IKEA. Oh, wow. And they can program the sanding patterns and paths on that chair in a matter of minutes. Wow, that's incredible. In the old days, you'd have a good programmer working for hours and hours and hours. And every time you changed the chair or had a new product, there'd be more programming. So that's a good example where the company leveraged our control architecture and built a product that interfaces directly with our robot to solve a very specific application
1: problem. Yeah, and I think that's really where it has to go. And again, I I spoke about this earlier. The challenge is getting the interface easy enough to where you don't offset your savings by on the other end of the the problem. And I know a lot of manufacturing solutions, they'll save money on one side of the problem and then they'll just move that budget elsewhere and they are effectively back at ground Mm -hmm. zero. So being able to have simple programs that are again, more, you know, simple user interface that people are used to working with instead of working with Y and X axes with, with math and all these sort of scary things that we used to have to deal with. I think those are important. So being able to get the thing up and running, is the discussion that I remember having 15 years ago where you know you really needed to have one of, the, in this case of the company I was speaking with, they needed to have effectively an application person go through the entire process. It involved a lot of consultants and, and a lot of uh, magic tricks that just weren't in house. And that's where things fall apart. You have to be able to change these things on the fly. And again, you know, in our industry, having intellectual resources for all aspects is what makes a strong company. As a management person myself, I don't want everything in the company being farmed out by a third party. SMEs are important. They should be brought in. But at one point, you should be able to give them their check, shake their hand and say, nice meeting you, and let them go off into the sunset. And some of these automated systems up until now... They're the application purses and included in your family pictures because they're around all the time. So those are the problems <laughs> that uh, you know we're like, can this guy leave? does yeah. he work here? you know, and he's at the company's softball game and you know the whole deal. So I think that's where the that's uh, right. the concern is is to be able to have something that we can we can manage because as far as the the movement and the uh, the hardware itself, from my point of view, and I don't know that we've really hit a brick wall. I'm sure we're using you know very special motors now and all sorts of terrific uh, sensors. But at one point, you do hit a technological wall, and there's only so much more innovation that can be done there. Movement is movement. We're at high-speed robots with uh, that are able to do billions of cycles by now, I'm sure. Very reliable. But if we can't tell them what to do easily, all of the hardware stuff kind of goes out the window. And that's where, and I agree with you, I think that's the future in manufacturing in general is to have interfaces that uh, are more simple, that are more comfortable that we're used to, and that even lower level individuals can uh, integrate with the machines and it doesn't take the special guy and he's trout fishing in Mammoth this weekend. So I think that's the problem.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. I think the uh, ownership of the core process needs to reside with the company whatever product you make. And I'll go back to my sanding example, just because I had so much fun learning this industry a little bit. We were talking to people who owned cabinet shops, and they absolutely understood how to build a cabinet. They understood how to select wood. They understood how to make it durable. They understood how to design it. Not so much on robots. So the challenge is is to build them a tool that they can readily deploy they keep their core competency on their area. They understand how to get the best surface finish in the world. And then we teach them how to do it with a robot. And I think it's the same in, in any kind of manufacturing environment. That's that's really what we're all trying to do.
1: I agree. That's uh, having the holistic approach to the product where a lot of people just uh, divide. For instance, in, in our machinery, it has to be validated under our sort of mandate 11607 uh, part two. It's codified on how that uh process has to go and if you're talking to application engineers that can only tell you about machine functions and solenoids and buttons and all those sorts of things you're only telling part of the story we want to know how this device is going to actually be used in real world what's in our case what sort of regulatory constraints are there and how do we integrate it this device so it works within those uh, requirements that we're held under it's terrific to hear how your company um really has that more end-to-end sort of uh, mindset because i think that's been missing in some of the industries in fact just recently at the MDM, we had uh, a customer that was looking for an arm and um as soon as i explained what the process was he gave me a stack of cards from people i should call that could help me on the programming because he wasn't really a hundred percent sure about how i would do that but he was very exuberant about uh the brushless motors or whatever little bell and whistle he was showing me. Mm -hmm. So unless it's a whole solution, gosh, you know, we're in medical device manufacturing, any manufacturing, everybody knows engineers are busy. We've got stuff to do. There's things happening all the way around us. We don't have time to go home and set at a computer and try to learn an industry that could take you know a decade to really get up to speed. We really rely on vendors that encapsulate an SME within the purchase. I mean, we always include that intellectual resource within the purchase of that machinery. Gosh, you know, if you don't, you're only giving them a half-baked product. And it sounds like that is your ethos at your company. And and I applaud that. That's, uh, that's really the way that this type of a device has to be sold.
2: Yeah, we've tried to make it, uh, and again, it's not that you're going to take Somebody and in two hours teach them how to do the most complex application in the world. But well, let's start with the basics. And if you can give them a couple-hour online course and they can get started, it's uh, it really is empowering, and it and it helps the whole organization grab the technology and run with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today, Joe. Can you give me just some closing thoughts? Any sort of a roundup in terms of robotics at the end of the show? I'll be giving them. Um, your information to contact you, and and I'm sure you're happy to talk with anyone uh, regarding um, how your Absolutely. company uh, works. And and I've seen your products over the years at trade shows, and uh, beautiful stuff. And um, I'm looking at your website right now, and just uh, I love it. I mean, I'm so dry every time I'm at a uh, an industrial trade show. Man, the one of them, my first stops is over in the robotics. I'm a robot nerd. I love it.
2: I think my parting comment would be around this this jobs function, and I'm. Fortunate in my role, I get to talk to general managers, plant managers, owners, CEOs, literally all across the country and really around the world. And this jobs issue in manufacturing is a universal problem. And it is manifesting itself as a capacity issue. If you refer back to the white paper, there's there are a large percentage of companies that are turning down new business because they don't have enough operators. In manufacturing, right. there are companies that have large, large investments in machine tools and other equipment that are sitting idle because they can't get operators. And so this is a very, very real issue and it's not going to go away. And I really believe that collaborative robots can be part of the solution, right, because we can quickly and easily bring automation to the low level tasks. But it also is part of the longer solution because we really need to make manufacturing an attractive career for the younger generations. And right now, it's not. And we have to work on that. That's everybody's responsibility.
1: Yeah, it seems like we were all talking about Industry 4.0 for so long, and it seemed like it kind of fizzled out a little bit. But now, as we change these, how many people are moving into manufacturing, and even on the lower levels, how... Gosh, you know, we're having a hard time filling clean rooms. Uh, we just had an interview recently with David Koch from Newpec Medical and talking about his challenges of the ever, uh, he'll have 10 applications come in and that they'll fill and they always have to keep employing more people because the loss, the attrition rate is so high. And uh, one of the ways to manage that is to give, you know, in our industry or, or our company, really, we've learned the best way to keep people is to make people happy. And nobody's happy doing a redundant job like that. I don't care what you say. You can only flip so many hamburgers and really feel like you're career challenged. So I think it's important that we say, hey, you know, this is uh, this is the way we're going to integrate the harder, boring stuff, and we're going to put you on things that is going to be enriching to you as a humanoid, as an individual, which I think is important. And um, we're going to get you out of that. Not only is it a, a safety concern for redundancy or for repetitiveness, rather, But uh, it's also boring and it's uh, soul killing and it makes people walk out the back door and we don't want that. And I agree. I think that's where we really can not only solve the problem by having this function taken care of that we don't have to hire for. We also keep the employees that do stay with us more happy because they're able to integrate what you described as a tool. And I love that term. And I think that's what it's all about is to use that as a tool in concert with trained staff.
2: Yep, and that is the best solution. And actually, uh, MIT did a, a very detailed study, and they determined that humans working in collaboration with robots are more productive than humans alone or robots alone. It is the most productive mix for manufacturing.
1: It's not only that. I mean, I look at it as a toy. We all, I mean, so many people are running around with drones, which was in the hands of just so few people at one point. Now there's an independent drone that you can. Uh, send off flying drone that just follow you around. And it basically has some, uh, some onboard intelligence and some spaces. And so you can get the ultimate selfie as this thing flies around your head, you know? So we like toys, we like gadgets. My son drags me to Best Buy all the time to see what the new, you know, gadget de jour is. And so, I don't think uh, people feel as uneasy as they did, certainly not you know, 20 years ago. I think people feel very comfortable around technology. They like technology. It's a toy. And uh, not only is it uh, not a burden in the, in the workroom, it's a cool thing to look at for the manufacturing uh, management core. It's a fun uh, conceit to look into uh, more advanced automation and see these things in action. And to the people that work there, I think it gives them a sense of pride that they're using higher technology.
2: Yeah, And then, uh, so now the next step is we've got to get the collective corporate management to understand that it is a viable investment and it uh, it really does solve a bottom line business problem.
1: And one last thing before I let you go, when you are specking out a, a device, do you share cost metrics? I mean, do you have a tool, a software tool where you can say here, this process is, and you can give a pretty good guesstimate in terms of how that company is going to say, because they're on the before buy side of automation like this. They want to know hard numbers. We have investors and management core that want those hard numbers. Even if manufacturing thinks this would be a cool thing, it would help. How do you address that? Do you have a tool that says, you know, tell me your process and you come back and say,
2: yeah, we've got a simple ROI calculator that our team will use. And then we also have a more complex model and actually a white paper that kind of goes with it for the really sophisticated deep dive analysis. The truth that we find though is a well thought-out application for a collaborative robot has return on investment of less than a year.
1: Amazing! That's very good.
2: that the cost of the product is less than the average manufacturing labor cost for one year.
1: That is impressive. And
2: don't even count the hiring and training and the cost, and the impact of turnover. So we certainly use the tool, but what we really try to do is point people towards the case studies. And it's a lot more powerful when the plant manager tells you that the payback was seven months, rather than me tell you that the payback was seven months. (laughs) Exactly. We have some great videos around these case studies, and you can hear from the guys running the business how it has impacted their business and their performance, and in some cases, their personal lives.
1: Amazing. There's not much. There's what's there to lose, right? You have a technology that enhances the workplace. It uh, increases workflow you can uh, do some analytics beforehand to make sure that um, you're going to get a return on your investment. So it's pretty close ended as far as I'm concerned. And this is uh, similar to our industry where we show how um, our process or our systems can save money and time and still provide super accurate results. And that sounds like uh, you guys have the same philosophy as we do. And yep, that's, same approach. that's great. Joe, thanks so much for spending the time with me today. We just uh, could go on and on about this. And uh, if you want to get a hold of uh, Joe, I will give you some information uh, in just a moment about that. And um, I'm sure you're happy to hear from potential customers that may want to put robots in their clean rooms. Yeah
2: happy to help.
1: Thanks again, Joe.
2: I really appreciate it. Good talking with you.
1: Thank you, Joe. This has been such an interesting show for me. Unfortunately, we've run out of time as we do around here. But Thank you for joining me for two shows over this episode as we talk about robots. I firmly believe that there are so many opportunities within our clean room to be able to use this form of sort of semi-automation with collaborative robots. So many opportunities. On the medical device packaging side alone, We really are challenged. I know a lot of our customers are challenged with throughput. What a great solution for that. And, of course, accuracy. If you'd like to talk to Joe Campbell more about robots, you can reach him at Universal Robots. His number there is 844-462-6268. Thank you, everyone, for joining me today. Hope you enjoyed this show as much as I did. And thank you for listening to Sterile Packaging On Track Radio.
0: Thank you for listening to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. Make sure and subscribe to our podcast today so you will never miss out on our latest episode. If there is a subject you would like us to cover, or if you are an expert yourself and would like to be considered for an upcoming episode, then just drop us a line at info at Thanks again for listening in. From all of us at Sterile Packaging on Track Radio, have a great day.